The idea that Linux is fun and the myriad of ways people put distros together should be reviewed often. My name is Moss. I live in eastern Tennessee. And my name is Tony, and I live in the northwest of England. Welcome to Distro Hopper's Digest. We love checking distros out. New distros, new versions of older distros, and maybe even some old distros we've missed. I have my preferences, and Tony has his. Perhaps together we can find some common ground to share with you. The idea of the podcast is that we each install a new distro to our chosen hardware for three to four weeks and use it as much as possible, perhaps even as our daily driver. We record all our trials, tribulations, fixes, what we liked and what we didn't. I like to find distros which would be kind to a new user, especially one who is hoping to move over from another operating system, such as Windows or Mac OS. We intend to give as much information as possible on each distro, and we'll also divulge what hardware we're using and how we think the hardware may have affected the rating. Welcome to Distro Hopper's Digest, Episode 6, recording on September 24th, 2019. For this show, we decided to review OpenSUSE and Q4OS. We'd like to hear from you what you'd like to see us take on, be it Debian, Red Hat, ArchSUSE, Mandriva, Slackware, or Gentoo-based distros. Monthly foibles wherein we discuss what did and didn't work for us this month. I tried Manjaro on both my laptops. In each case, it caused one of my other installations to be hidden to Grub. No idea why. I had the same problem with Gecko Linux, including having Gecko and Manjaro do it to each other. But with Manjaro, I still had boots to Linux Mint and Bodhi on the T430, whereas I did not have those with Gecko or on a brief attempt at OpenSUSE. So if I installed Gecko or OpenSUSE, I just had Gecko or OpenSUSE. If I installed Manjaro in a different partition... Gecko or OpenSUSE goes away, but all of a sudden I've got my Linux Mint and Bodhi back. After a lot of trying, I've come to the conclusion that Manjaro is a no-go for me, at least until I get a single-use machine. When I do updates or install programs, the download gets done and freezes. When I reboot and go do the installation or, or update, it finds the downloaded programs and installs them. I contacted the users in the Manjaro forum, I'm used to being told to go into terminal and type this or that. The Manjaro users told me to close the GUI entirely and go to a pure CLI. This is a killer for a new user, and for now, I'm not going to do it. Right now, this leaves me with Pop OS, Q4 OS, and Perl Desktop 8 for September. Pop OS uses a modified GNOME that a lot of power users have been raving about. I'm trying it, not deleting it, but it takes four clicks to do what I can do in two in Mate or Cinnamon or Plasma or Budgie. Perl Desktop is a hybrid of LXDE and XFCE, which very effectively achieves a Mac OS-like desktop with lots of really cool effects on top of Ubuntu 18.04. But it is written by one or more truly right-wing radicals, with the weather info set for a small town in Alabama. This shows especially in the fact that the code name for this version is QAnon, and Firefox opens with a link to propheticnews.com, and the installation of Kodi comes preloaded with QAnon and InfoWars plugins. I have cleaned it liberally, pun intended, and am still using it. There are only two mirrors for the Perl bits of this distro, which reduces its accessibility considerably. 
I believe the forum is also very lightly attended, and given the theme of this distro, I'm not sure I'd want to talk to them after they found out about my own political leanings, at least. The good news is that I asked the users of the Telegram and Discord groups which of the three distros I should report on this month. The voting was light, but was tilted toward Q4OS. I also got the last few pieces of my new Raspberry Pi 2B+, donated by listener CHBMB, so I have to get down to work using it to free up my other computers a bit. He sent everything. A new mini keyboard, new power supply, new case, and a new SD card in addition to the barely used Pi. I'm not sure whether I'm going to set up a personal cloud, a video server, or something else. Lots of options. I did download a book detailing what many of those options are. I haven't looked at it yet. I'm sorry. I have tried it as a uh, Kodi server, but I can't seem to get my plugins set right. <clears throat> I'm asking questions about that. And I put the Enlightenment E22 as an optional de desktop on my Linux Mint installation on the T430 just last night. You'd be amazed. So, Tony, what's been going on with you? Uh, well... I've been on the holiday again, but before I went on holiday, I set up a new uh, PC. Well, a refurbished Dell Optiplex 7010, actually. It's got i5, 8 gig of RAM, a uh, couple of uh, 250 gigabyte um, hard drives. Well, one, one's actually an SSD, uh, which I uh, stuck Linux Mint 19.2 on, uh, the Marty desktop. And the uh, hard disk drive's got Windows 10 set up in a dual boot mode uh, because my wife still occasionally needs to drop into Windows 10. I've also been having more fun joining in with Big Devil Linux. Uh, I joined the live stream uh, a few weeks ago on the uh, Saturday night, Sunday morning for me, despite the fact that it uh, goes on till 4am in the morning my time. I have a great time. They're a great bit group of people and one of the people that's uh, a regular attender Barbara Harris uh, was a recent uh, participant on the Linux Spotlight uh, episode that Rocco does um, and I've put a link in the show notes for that like I say I've just come back from a uh, holiday or vacation for you across the pond uh, we, this time we went to um, Brussels over the water so my dis you know, my distro review this month's been a little bit curtailed, although I did manage to use the laptop with it on while I was over there. Are we and jumping to Europe while we still can? <laughs> well, actually, on the Saturday night we got to uh, Brussels. It was the Euro uh, Big Daddy Linux uh, edition. So I actually we got into the hotel and within 15 minutes I was online and I joined the episode on the Saturday we arrived. So geeking doesn't stop just because I'm on holiday. <laughs> of course not. <laughs> yeah. So in my spare time, I've also been making jam. Uh, just before we went on holiday, there was a glut of uh, local wild berries and I picked some of them and in the burial ground at uh, my Quaker meeting house, we've got a damson tree. So I picked that, uh, picked a kilo and a half of damsons off that and made some uh, mixed berry and damson jam. I haven't heard of uh, damsons, Tony. What? They're a very small plum, ah. uh, but they but they've got a particularly um, particular flavour that is very. Uh, it's unique in the in the plum family. 
Well, you could send a jar back over. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm not sure it'd travel very well. Mm. And your your border force might uh, impound it for ah. contravening food laws or something. Well, I don't you never know. know. <laughs> but anyway, uh, my next uh, lot of um, making is going to be. Uh, I'm going to make some ginger, ginger and orange marmalade ready for Christmas for giving away as presents. So, uh, you know, as well as doing the geeky stuff and that, I've managed to keep myself pretty well occupied this, despite having a life of retired leisure. You know, I never seem to have as much time as I did when I was working <laughs> these days. <laughs> so that's me for this month. Okay, on to this month's first distro, Open Sousa Tumbleweed. Okay, so uh, this month, as we know, um, I've been testing uh, OpenSUSE Tumbleweed, which is the rolling release of OpenSUSE. I did it on the same laptop as I used last time, which was the little Toshiba Porti Edge Z30. I have put the specs in the show notes, but it's exactly the same as last time. Uh, it's an i5 with a couple of cores and four threads. Uh, it's got a 128 gigabyte M2 uh, SATA SSD and 8 gig of RAM. So I booted up the USB drive and went di- directly to the install option. I downloaded the uh, the full ISO, the 4.3 gigabyte uh, offline install ISO, so I didn't technically need to be on the internet, but it actually recognized my Wi-Fi card straight away, so I did connect to the Wi-Fi just in case it uh, wanted to pick anything up while I was doing the install. But um, basically... Um, the installers, uh, I don't know what they actually call it. I'm not sure if it's the Anaconda installer, but it's uh, a little bit different to some of the more user-friendly installers. But um, it's, uh, I would say it's geek-friendly, but not necessarily new user-friendly. But anyway, it works its way through the uh, the fact that you've uh, told it to start installing. And the first thing it comes up with is uh, a welcome and license agreement. You don't have to actually click anything on. You just scroll through it, and then it gives you the option to click next. And I'm sure I'm assuming that once you click next, you've basically agreed to the license agreement. And then it analyzes your system um, and checking the hardware it needs to configure after you've asked this. And then it asks what repos you wish to use. Uh, I left the defaults checked, and once the repos are configured, you get asked what type of system, and it gives you several options uh, of desktop environment. You can have a plain, vanilla, just boring, uh, accessible desktop environment, but not one of the main ones, So, and they call that generic. You get the option of KDE Plasma, GNOME, or XFCE. Uh, I went through XFCE. I'm getting quite um, happy with using that. It was the um, desktop environment in uh, Endeavor last month, so I used it again because there was no uh, Marte alternative. You're starting to sound like Zeb on this XFCE stuff. (laughs) Or Joe Ressington. Joe loves his XFCE. But, uh, yeah, um, because there was no uh, Marte option, within the uh, the full ISO. If you want to use Marte, you can download a live ISO 
uh, with lots of different uh, DEs and Martes, what are the options on that? But on the full ISO, they don't give you that option. Once you pick your DE, you get to move on to disk partitioning. Uh, you do have some options other than uh, suggested, but uh, they do give you just suggested option, which is basically to nuke the whole system and uh, start again, basically. But they give you uh, a couple of others, uh, one of which is a expert install. And the other, you can um, dual boot it and pick the dry uh, the partition you've got that may have another os on it and it will give you the option to resize that partition and install alongside it but I, because i was installing it straight onto the test machine i just went with the basic you know generic option and uh, installed it to wipe the whole drive if you're not familiar with this particular um installer i would suggest uh, installing it into a virtual machine and having to play around and maybe even installing another distro on it and then trying to install OpenSUSE on top just to get the, uh, if you wanted to do dual boot. A uh, little bit time consuming, but it will give you a chance to have a play around with it and practice doing the install before you do it on bare metal if you've got a system that you desperately need a dual boot to work without bulking your system. So once you're happy with the partitions, you go ahead and install. Again, you get prompted for the usual location, username, password. Uh, Once you've got these set, you're presented with the system configuration that you've set. It gives you a screen telling you what you're about to install. And at this point, you get um, the option to abort if if you're not happy with the way it's going to set it up. So up until this particular point, you've not actually changed anything on your system. And uh, so I press continue, and on the actual uh, live machine on the on the real metal, I think it took about twenty twenty five minutes. I don't remember timing it, but it wasn't awfully slow, and it, but it wasn't specifically fast either. Uh, but it was downloading quite, it was installing quite a bit of stuff, and uh, it did an auto reboot uh, as soon as it had installed. It decided it was going to. Uh, reboot and you were presented with a uh, xfce desktop once it had installed that was probably because i turned away and didn't see the screen that says do you want to reboot or do you want to stay in in the environment so after after it started up again post installation hardware facts and any issues all the laptops hardware seemed to be working i couldn't uh, see anything that wasn't uh, wi-fi was working which i expected because it had been recognized during the install so i was basically good to go and find all the software that i use that wasn't included in the uh, install i did have a major issue that uh, OpenSUSE tumbleweed or OpenSUSE in general i don't know doesn't by default include all the codecs. And there was nothing that I could see during the install process that I could tick and say, install codecs as you're going along. But that's probably because this particular uh, ISO is meant for offline install. It might be different in the live uh, version. So anyway, I had to go and do a little bit of research, but thanks to the help of uh, Cubicle Nate at TechPad, he pinged me on uh, the Big Daddy Linux uh, discourse channel uh, to say uh, he'd got an, he'd got a uh, 
web page up with uh, instructions on how to install all the codecs. So I went and had a look at that. Followed his uh, tutorial, worked out the box. Everything's up and running. So I was able to get video playing and everything. So nothing, no problems there. As far as ease of use goes, uh, another new Linux and another new package management system. <laughs> so while OpenSUSE uses the, uh, the RPM packages, these are managed by uh, YAST package management system. And the command line access to this is Zyper. That's spelled capital Z-Y-P-P-E-R. I think Americans might call that zipper. You might call that zipper. Yes, I never thought about that. <laughs> but it it's our difference in pronunciations. <laughs> uh, most ca- uh, commands in the terminal have a familiar ring to them. Uh, as a, and I also found out that you can... Uh, that if you accidentally use the app command and it's a familiar enough um, thing that you want to do, some of the app uh, commands have been set up as an alias for uh, Zipper. And although it, uh, I'm not sure if it does go across the board for all app commands, that is quite useful, actually. Uh, although it doesn't kind of tell you that you're using the wrong thing. It just goes ahead and does it. And I did test it out once I found out you could do that. Uh, and it does work with a couple of commands. So uh, that's that's useful and not very good if you're trying to learn the new package management system because if, you, if you're very familiar with apt and you actually, you know, muscle memory makes you type apt, then you're not really getting into using Zyper in the in the way. So you you're not prompted to say actually you've typed a, a wrong command. You need to do this. But it's useful for newcomers that may, you know, may be used to app command and are more worried about getting the software installed than uh, what command line uh, tools they're using. Updates and software installation can also be managed by the uh, Yast. GUI package management interface. It's more like Synaptic Package Manager than a GUI software installer. So you do have to have some knowledge of what you're trying to install, although I didn't have any issues with it at the time while I was using the system. And that's mainly because I tended to use the command line. There's an indicator in the bottom right of the taskbar in XFCE that indicates uh, when updates are available. And I just use this as a prompt to open a terminal and go in and use uh, Zipper to uh, actually do the update. But the updates all ran fairly smooth, didn't have any issues. And apart from one little glitch during the um, review, uh, I didn't have any stability issues with uh, after I'd done any uh, updates. So applications and any issues. Well, as to... Tumbleweeds are rolling release, although not quite as cutting edge as Arch. They do a little bit more quality assurance before pushing out updates. You are unlikely to be very far from the latest software. Uh, On my system, once I'd got it uh, installed, Audacity was on 2.3.2. And whereas in Mint, I think it's still on 2.2 something. Uh, LibreOffice was the... uh, fairly cutting edge 6.3.11 and XFCE was the latest 4.14 and that had only been released about a week or so before I started uh, using it on my machine to review it. Memory use on first boot, 
Yeah, it's quite good. I've got an eight eight gig of RAM in this, and uh, on first boot, it was showing around about five sixty meg. Of, and this was in both Stacer and Neo Fetch, so reasonable accuracy on uh, how much memory it's using when it uh, first starts up. I would have expected in mate about uh, one hundred and fifty gig, uh, gig uh, megabytes more than that, but. Uh, so it it is definitely a little lighter on uh, resources, and GNOME, if you install that, it runs at around about one or one point one gigabyte of RAM at boot. So significantly lower resource hungry than that. The minimum recommended RAM for this particular install is two gigs. So uh, it may be because of memory management, you might even find that if you've only got two gig in, uh, it doesn't take quite so much up on. Uh, initial boot as uh, it did with mine so coming along to ease of finding help uh, OpenSUSE has got a great uh, forum although for the month I was running it apart from the issues with media codex which like I say I was helped with by cubicle Nate not had any issues to go to seek help for does this laptop doesn't have any special graphics it just works so I can't really comment about how friendly those using the forums are because I never really tested it out because uh, I didn't have any issues that I needed to test it out. Does it play nice with others? Uh, I did do a dual boot on another laptop. I didn't have much of an issue getting it installed. I used the expert option, as I've already said, uh, and uh, dual booted the PC and it was able to wipe out the other Linux install on the dual boot to enable OpenSUSE to replace that and maintain the uh, dual boot with, uh, I think it was a Windows 10 dual boot, so it was able to maintain that. I've already pointed out my problems in the foibles. I tried to install OpenSUSE, not, I think I did Leap, and I also tried Gecko, and it doesn't play well with other Linuxes. I'm sure they've tested it to play well with with Windows. Yeah, that's quite that can be quite common uh, common with uh, other distros. You know that uh, they're not very well supported by other Linuxes, but when it comes to Windows Ten, everyone's tested it as against dual boots against Windows and Windows Ten because that's probably going to be the main thing that most people uh, dual boot with if they're not familiar with Linux. I have a question, Tony. Yeah, go on. Did it set up with ButterFS? Or did you just use uh, ext4? Uh, I just used the default, so it might be ButterFS. I never even thought to check. Uh huh. That could be part of the problem that uh, ButterFS knows how to work with FAT, but it doesn't know how to work with ext4. Yeah, it could be. Yeah, uh, I didn't actually uh, check that out because uh, normally I I format to um, xfc um, the file. Uh, is it yeah? I can never remember. EXT4, Tony. EXT4, yeah. EXT4. That's that's the one I normally pick when I'm uh, partitioning and things. I'll have to go back and have a look at that. So coming on to stability, I didn't have any issues apart from during the time that I had it uh, installed. Suddenly, towards the end of the four weeks, uh, it did an update, and then I opened Discord. And Discord said it had got corrupted. Now, I don't know whether Discord updates when you start it up. So I'm not sure whether that was anything to do with the OpenSUSE update 
or whether it was to do with the Discord updates. Yeah, Discord always checks for updates when it opens. Yeah, and it might be that there was a Discord update that we, there was a slight incompatibility with ability with uh, OpenSUSE. But apart from that, there was no other issues. The uh, distros, you know, OpenSUSE is still uh, rock solid on that machine. It hasn't been wiped yet. Uh, and it's running perfectly well. Even Discord still works. It just gives me a red banner at the top saying this, something's become corrupted. So I'm not sure what that issue is, and I didn't particularly have time to go and find out. So, ratings. Uh, ease of installation. I've given it new user-friendly install score of 6 out of 10 because, uh, again, the, pack- uh, the install is not particularly intuitive for a new user. Experienced Linux users... 8 out of 10, because even I was fumbling around a little bit. Hardware issues, there was none, so I've given that 10 out of 10. I haven't given a score for ease of finding help because I didn't really test the community out there. But you did find Cubicle Nate? I did find Cubicle Nate, and he is a very, very uh, staunch open Sue's person so uh, thumbs up to cubicle <laughs> uh, and it's uh, great to be part of a community you know other communities that can you can get help from as well you don't have to necessarily just go into the forums for the particular distro you're using ease of use i think most linux distros now once you've got it set up the way you like it they're pretty well all the same you know uh, i've given it eight out of ten but uh, it's probably it's probably you know it's as easy to use once you've got it set up as any other distro I've tested so far on the series. The alias to apt really would help some people if they were familiar with Debian. Yeah, yeah. Like I say, it. it I've got I've got different views in the sense of yes, it's nice if you if you're more familiar with a Debian um, install and you're used to the app command. Uh, it's nice if your muscle memory just accidentally types, uh, app, you know, sudo apt install and you, the name of the package, uh, and it still works. But it's not actually telling you you're using the wrong thing, so you're not really learning. And you don't know how deep it goes into the apt command. No, you don't. Uh, so in some ways, I'd probably prefer it that they didn't do it because then you're, you're prompted to actually learn the proper commands. But yes, it does make it a little bit easier to use the, uh, for new user um, than it does with others. As far as play nice with others, I've given it eight out of ten. But from what you've said, it it might yeah might be a bit less than that. And stability, I've given it nine out of ten. The only reason I've marked it down is because of the issue with disc Discord. Uh, and I'm not sure whether that's actually an OpenSUSE problem. It might just be a Discord problem. So similar distos to check out. OpenSUSE 15.1 is obviously the uh, regular OpenSUSE without the rolling release. So you're getting a stable one, but you're getting packages that are going to get out of date a little bit over over time. We're talking Leap rather than Tumbleweed. Yeah. Yeah. Endeavor OS, which is Arch-based and the one that I reviewed last month. So uh, if you want to know a bit about Endeavor... Uh, go go to last month's review because that's still up there. PC Linux OS, another rolling release which we reviewed earlier on in the series. Manjaro, which I know uh, Boss has been having some problems with recently, but uh, it's uh, rolling and it's arch based. 
compared with Endeavor, it's got a lot of packages uh, included in it out of the box that you don't get with Endeavor. So it's less less hard to get to working and getting all your software working. Um, I installed it recently on another machine and it gave me the option, three options as far as the uh, oh office management system. So writer, spreadsheet and all that. Uh, and it gave me the option to do LibreOffice, free office or no office suite at all. So the controversy uh, has uh, changed the way they approach that now. And I'm sure most of the listeners know what my vote would be. <laughs> yes. Of course I do no office and then install SoftMaker because I, I can't convert free office license over to SoftMaker for some reason. Oh, right. Okay. But the free office actually has become more usable because it now saves to uh, MS uh, document types. I'm glad they fixed it. Yeah, and you've put in at the end, boss, Gecko Linux. Do you want to say a little bit about that? Well, Gecko Linux is basically OpenSUSE just with a Calamaris installer, and that would get rid of most of the installation problems for new users. Uh, when you get it, uh, you can get either Leap or Tumbleweed, uh, your choice. And so you wind up with a pure OpenSUSE, but just you get to put it in easier. That's cool. Cool. I might go and check that out, even if I just stick it in VirtualBox just to check out the installer and stuff. So, final comments. Considering that for the majority of my Linux using life, I would not have considered the option of using a rolling distro. But along with PC Linux OS and Endeavor OS that I've tested for the show, and now OpenSUSE Tumbleweed, yes, you need to have a fair understanding of Linux before you consider Tumbleweed as a daily driver. But it is a great distro out for anyone who is willing to use the terminal and a YAS package manager and can manage without the GUI, uh, GUI software installer. So um, it's no more difficult uh, to get me head around than PC Linux OS was. And as uh, it's far more configured out of the box than the initial installation with Endeavor OS. Endeavor OS doesn't have anything as far as software goes when you first install it. So the acid test is, could I run Tumbleweed as my daily driver? And I would have to say yes to that. In fact, for 80% of the time over the last month, I've used Tumbleweed uh, as just that. When I was on Big Daddy Linux Live a few weeks ago, Rocco asked me uh, if all my distro hopping had come across uh, any bad distros. And I said at that time, as far, as far as I could think, I'd not. Well, I can add Tumbleweed into the good category because... Uh, it works. Once you've got it installed and you get your head around the slightly different package management system, it works. So that's the end of my review. Have you got anything more to add, Moss, before we move over to you? I think we've covered that one. I would have given it a little lower ratings in both installation for new users and uh, plays well with others, but it's your review. <laughs> yeah, fair enough. Yeah, we all have slightly different opinions, but... Uh... Okay, so shall we go uh, over to you and let's talk about Q4OS? Ah, oh, Q4OS. Uh, let's do my hardware. I ran Q4OS on my Lenovo IdeaPad 110-15ACL-80TJ with 4 gigs of RAM and a 500 gig hard drive currently with three partitions. 
I later installed it on my Lenovo ThinkPad T430 with 8 gigs of RAM, a 500 gig hard drive, and a 32 inch external monitor. Installation. For me, an installation includes the full installation and all updates. If I can manage it, then I replace LibreOffice, if provided, with SoftMaker Office, install my preferred VPN, and set up Grub Customizer, if available, or other Grub management, and then install my printer, which is a Brother MFC J491DW, a simple matter on DEB and RPM distros, not so much on others. I usually try to install Stacer so I can get good stats and a few extra controls. I will state that during this month, I stopped using Molvat as my VPN and have switched to PIA, Privacy Internet Access. PIA should be easier to install in those less mainstream distros I've been reviewing, but is not quite as simple as Molvat to install in Deb or RPM distros. It was an easy install here. My wife has been having some trouble with PIA, as have I, but it has been easily fixable by switching VPN nodes. For me, uh, I'm not sure she has gotten comfortable with it yet. Back to Q4OS. The installer is Calamaris. It installed on the idea pad without running into the imaginary partition bug, and it just went zoom right in. Extremely easy and pleasant experience. You have the option of installing full basic or light editions and either just Trinity Desktop or both Trinity Desktop and Plasma 5. I chose the former, but at a later time I added Plasma. That in itself was seamless and simple. I was about to rave about Calamaris and say they fixed that bug, but a couple weeks later I installed Q4OS on my T430 and ran into the imaginary partition bug yet again. So that bug is apparently hardware-specific. This is the first bug I've run into on Intel that was not a bug on AMD. Most of my prior issues have been with the drivers on the AMD machine. Post-installation hardware issues? Well, just as Tony's experience with Debian 10 Buster a couple months ago, there have been no issues with the installation on my IdeaPad. This distro is little else than Buster with a special desktop. On the ThinkPad T430, however, I had trouble getting Trinity to use my external monitor. Apparently I hit a setting wrong, but I don't seem to be able to fix it. The T430 worked perfectly in Plasma. However, I did notice that if you set the boot for auto login, it automatically boots to Trinity, or I didn't find the switch to set use last desktop, quote unquote. But with Plasma, the T430 worked fine. Ease of use. It's as easy to use as you would expect Debian 10. The desktop itself is vanilla Windows XP if you leave it as installed, and changing the wallpaper to something more pleasant than plain sky blue is simple. Indeed, they have a nice grassy plain which resembles Windows Bliss but without the hill, included in the distro, and of course you can find wallpapers everywhere. The reason the developers give for making this distro is to serve businesses, most of whom have never felt the need to leave XP except that it is no longer secure. Add in Debian 10 Buster and your security issues vanish. And Trinity Desktop is a fork of KDE 3.5, created when KDE 4 turned out to be such a slow, laggy memory hog. If you don't like Trinity, Plasma 5 is just a relog in a way. Continuing with my installation, PIA works great, the printer installed flawlessly, and as Tony reported last month, Grub Customizer has been added to the Debian repo, so I didn't even have to gripe about not being able to install PPAs. Softmaker, Stacer, Discord, everything went in as easy as using GW or apt. 
I'm finding that connecting to Wi-Fi away from home is not automatic in most cases, and PIA does not load automatically but loads right up when selected, so I keep the icon on my desktop. This is only true in Trinity, and everything is automatic in Plasma. I have also found that my KDE games have Trinity versions which are a lot more primitive and don't always work. Again, boot to Plasma and everything works great. What was it about KDE 3.5 that need to be moved away from? Animations? This is a very satisfying desktop and would be very well suited to business or home. You say it's not modern? Are you comparing it to Cave Drawings or Plasma 5? It's a nice desktop in appearance and functionality, and it'll make you remember what you really loved about Windows XP that you've long since forgotten due to later versions of Windows. Memory use. With Firefox open, the idea pad is using 1.8 or 1.9 gigabytes as I type, and only 8.9 gigabytes of hard drive is in use. A little heavy for a machine with only 4 gigs of memory, but that's what swap files are for. With Firefox closed, Stacer reports about 765 megabytes of RAM in use. On the ThinkPad, it appears to be less memory than that, which is interesting as it has twice the RAM to work with. Ease of finding help. This is interesting. There's a lot of documentation on KDE 3.5, but apparently the Q4OS people did not get permission to use it, as many of the doc pages are blank, with appeals for people to volunteer to fill them in. The Q4OS forum uses FluxBB software and has 618 registered users. That's not really enough to expect a quick response for any question you may have, in my opinion, but in approaching them I found a few responses friendly, but uh, I haven't really had any issues to ask them about. I haven't really needed support except for screenshots, which I got from our own users. Print screen merely captures the current screen to your clipboard instead of opening a screenshot program, which confused me. Again, this is in Trinity, so everything works the way you'd expect it to work in Plasma. You have to go to the desktop and right-click to save it, and that help I got from our listeners. I'm trying to figure out how to map that key to a screenshot program. I didn't spend enough time trying to do that. Plays nice with others. I've had no problems running or arranging other distros on my multi-boot system. Stability. Well, you know, it's Debian. Latest edition. So that's as stable as it could be. And second, it's 1.5 versions old of KDE, or the current Plasma 5 desktop, which are as mainstream as you can get. So this is as solid as you get, perfect for business, but it's also perfect for just about anyone else who doesn't care about wobbly windows or cool animations, or if you do, just use Plasma. Similar distros to check out. Debian 10 Buster, a lot harder to install, but about the same otherwise. MX Linux, I don't know whether they've updated a Buster yet, but they will, and you have to watch out to see whether you've got SystemD installed or not when you run it. Nothing at all else uses Trinity Desktop. Ratings. Ease of installation. Newer experienced user, 9 out of 10. Except if you encounter the imaginary partition bug, then you're down to 7 out of 10 because you have to go through and select the something else option and pick your partition more manually. Hardware issues. 7 to 9 out of 10, uh, depending on whether you're using Trinity or Plasma. And depending on which machine you're using, Intel or AMD. Ease of finding help, community or web. I, I rated it a 7. I didn't have any problem reaching the users. I didn't have any need to reach the users. But there's only, like I said, only a few hundred of them on their forum. 
Ease of use, 8 out of 10. That's probably low. I probably should have given it a 9. Plays nice with others, 9 out of 10. Stability, it's Debian 10. Rock solid, 10 out of 10. You heard it, folks. I gave somebody a 10. <laughs> Final comments. Nobody I know is using this distro. Does that have to do with their marketing or the sparse documentation? I know a lot of people who loved XP and left for Linux when Microsoft tried to push them to Win 7 would love this. Indeed, I'd forgotten how much I liked XP and how simply usable it was. And you're not stuck with the XP-like desktop but can easily switch to the latest Plasma. But businesses have been either swayed to newer Windows or already have a Linux farm and probably have overlooked this option. I may keep it on my idea pad for a while. New releases this month from our last show to present. I guess I've got them in reverse order from the latest to the oldest. So let's do Univention Corporate Server 4.4-2, CentOS 8.0.1905, Bluestar 5.3.1, Hyperbola 0.3, Volume IO 2.618, Clon OS 19.09, LACA 2.3.1, ReactOS 0.4.12, I'll be looking into that, Parrot 4.7, KDE Neon 2019.0919, Endeavor OS 2019.09.15, PC Linux OS 2019.09, CentOS 7.7.1908, which is the last of the 7-point series, CloneZilla Live 2.6.3-7, Emabuntus DE3-1.00, Porteous Kiosk 4.9.0, GhostBSD 19.09, EasyOS 2.1.3, EasyOS 1.2.3. There is a difference between those two versions. I'll let you do the research. Omarine 6.2. Endless 3.6.3. Slacks 9.11.0. Voyager 10.1. Arco Linux 19.09.1. Manjaro 18.1.0. Fun2 Linux 1.4. OSGO Live 13.0. LiveRazo 10.19.09.11, KDE Neon 2019.09.12, SmartOS 2019.09.12, KOS or Chaos 2019.09, Debian 9.11.0, LXLE 18.04.3, Debian 10.1.0, Archman GNU Linux 2019-09. Tails 3.16, IP Fire 2.23 Core 135, Kali Linux 2019.3, OS 19.09, Linux from Scratch 9.0, 4M Linux 30.0, Linux Lite 4.6, Black Arch Linux 2019.09.01. Woo! Now you can breathe. Oh. <laughs> I've been trying to breathe. Isn't it wonderful how lively Linux is that all these people are continuing to work on these projects? Yeah, it's brilliant, isn't it? But uh, you can understand when people say, there's too many distros. <laughs> but it does give us so much choice out there, doesn't it? It gives us loads of stuff to look at as well for uh, doing reviews. So yeah. uh, 
I don't think we're going to run out anytime soon. Have we had any listener feedback to throw in this month? I couldn't see anything on the uh, website. Uh, Let me just go and check to see if there was anything. I didn't see any emails either. Right. Well, our Discord has been a little light and our Telegram has been a little light, but uh, the usual suspects, Peter Jones, uh, Crypto Dan, um, Chibum, CHBMB, and that's most of what we see in in the Telegram group. Yeah, there's uh, there's nothing on the uh, website as far as I could see. Okay. Uh, I had a I had a quick look um, a while you know before we started recording, and there's no, no emails coming. So uh, we've not particularly had any major feedback this month. Announcements. We have had a number of users who have wanted to submit their own reviews for DistroHopper's Digest, so we are now planning to produce a user-only show, DistroHopper's Digest User Edition. We have posted the criteria to be used in your review on the blog at https colon slash slash distrohoppersdigest.blogspot.com. We did not get any submissions in September. Please submit your reviews in .flat format if you can. Uh, we can accept uh, .mp3s if that's uh, the best you can do. Submitting a script of what you've said will also help our listeners, but it's not required. Please send your submissions to distrohoppersdigest at gmail.com. In other housekeeping, I live in a rather impoverished area for a reason. It's the only pleasant place my wife and I can afford to live. While I don't want to make money as a podcaster per se, or am hesitant to do so, I do need to feed the digital habit to keep doing this show and my other show, Mintcast. My eyesight is not the best, so I'm hoping for a 17-inch laptop. I would like to get a Lenovo ThinkPad G70-80, which I can get on eBay between 150 to 225 or a similar Dell. Some listeners have offered to send me money, and I have received a very nice, complete Raspberry Pi 2B Plus with a new case, keyboard, power supply, and SD card. I cannot tell you how grateful I am to be thought of in this way. I am supporting myself and my wife on Social Security and a part-time job. I have decided to set up an account at Sponsus, which is open source and is kind of like Patreon. Michael Tunnell uses this. My sponsus is at https colon slash slash sponsus.org slash Zyvala. A link in the show notes. Minimum donations are $3 per month due to how the site processes payments. I have no idea what premiums to offer. You tell me what you want and I'll see what I can do. You can also make direct donations to my PayPal if that is convenient. Use the address zyvalananda at gmail.com also in the show notes. Contact me for other ways to donate. All donations will go to equipment for the shows, and any overflow will be used to help establish a Linux users group in my area. Transparency will be provided to donors. Anything you can do to help will be very much appreciated. Please tell me if you want your name used on the show, whether you make a sponsor's PayPal or direct donation. Our next show will be recorded on October 30th, 2019. There will be a user edition in about two weeks if we get any submissions. 
visit our website at https colon slash slash distrohoppersdigest.blogspot.com and follow us on MeWe, Discord, Telegram, and at our Mintcast groups. And please contact us at distrohoppersdigest at gmail.com if you have any comments or distro suggestions. Before we go, we would also like to thank all those who make this project possible, starting with the Mintcast podcast team for allowing us to use their Mumble server, Archive.org for storing and helping to distribute this program. Audacity, which we use for recording and editing the show. Joshua Lowe for work on our logo. All those who work on the teams which are creating, adapting and maintaining the Linux distros we have reviewed this episode. Midair Machine, creators of the song Streets of Santivo, used as our music under Creative Commons license. Thanks to Linus Torvalds for the kernel. Richard Stallman for the GNU Toolkit, and for all those who've worked behind the scenes on free and open-source Libre software. And thanks to the rest of the Mintcast team for letting us use their Discord channel and lots of encouragement. We shall be back next episode. Thank all of you for listening. Mm-hmm.